0: Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live, Learn, Lead with me, Allison Geskin. Today, we are going to deep dive into the personal and professional life of Susan McGuire. Let me ask you this, my friends. Have you ever met a people whisperer? Well, you are about to today. Susan is probably one of the most genuine, client-focused, innovative professional and transformational change leaders of our time she's got a ton of demonstrated success in design in development implementation of value add human capital in terms of processes and programs she really truly is a people whisperer let's dive in shall we
1: I just couldn't stop smiling, Allison.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Are you ready to dive in? You know, we're going to go deep, right?
1: I, I'm ready. I mean, I, I'm as ready
0: as I can be. I just want your beautiful brain and we're just going to riff and it's going to be fantastic.
1: Do
0: it. Susan, why, from your perspective, is the people piece of any business just so dang hard to get right?
1: I think a lot of us stand in our own way. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to get over ourselves, dare I say, ego. That's the hard work, I think, that needs to happen in order for us to be better for others. Yeah. We need to be there for ourselves first.
0: How do we do that? Like, okay, so we have a leader that um, is in a business and runs, let's say, a team of, let's say, 15 people. The people piece has always been like the biggest struggle to you as a you know, world-renowned people whisperer and just says, Susan, like everything's going really well for my business, but I fucking hate my people mm-hmm. and my people hate me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Ever, ever had a conversation
1: like yes. that? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> not that long ago, actually.
0: <laughs> how, do you, how do you navigate it? Like, again, and this is not, I mean, we laugh about it and, you know, we're jovial about it. We know that outside of anything, strategy, marketing, technology, products, services, like your single most strongest competitive advantage in any organization is going to be your people. And yet, why do we fail so miserably at it? And so, if you were having a conversation with this leader that is having great struggles with their people, how would you approach it? Like, how would you bring to light what people can't see?
1: So, with me, it always starts with some discovery. I let my clients know that that's what they can expect because it is so fruitful. It's such a great way for us to get to know each other. But as that person starts to talk, then I start to hear things that they're saying that they may or may not be hearing as I'm hearing. And so the conversation, although seeming, you know, from one side to another, it could seem wonky, it could seem nicely flowing, like it all depends on that interaction that we're having in that moment. For me to be able to nicely get to some deeper places and start to understand how this person thinks, what are some of their perceptions of themselves? What are some of their perceptions of their team? What are some of the stories they might be telling themselves that they've been telling themselves for many years? Mm. And so that discovery is the first place where we start.
0: Fantastic. How would you approach and why do we struggle? Oftentimes it boils down to communication right? And understanding, care Mm -hmm. and attention. But why do you think we struggle having such hard conversations? And then how do we get better at having those hard conversations? And hard conversations, I don't mean, you know, I've got to deliver some bad news to my team. Hard conversations can mean anything, like even the reflective questions, like how am I showing up for you? What should I start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I continue doing? Why do we struggle with them and how do we get better at it?
1: We struggle with them when it's new to us and we haven't already embedded some of this learning and understanding into our own day-to-day language. And we could see that that could be scary. Well, how do I have a conversation that I just feel I might be reading some notes or I've read it in a book somewhere? Meanwhile, if we've lived it and breathed it ourselves, then it starts to become more natural, just like the business owner has many years of practice of selling and closing deals and negotiating and marketing um, and, you know, and, 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 whereas it's the people part where they may not have spent the time going within and saying, what is it about myself? And how then can I bring myself and this comfort, increased comfort to a conversation that might appear difficult, but the, I trust me, the more you understand yourself, then the easier it is for you to have those conversations with your team, with your business partner, with your leader. How do you approach
0: a leader that is simply unable to see what others experience?
1: Well, and, and some people need a little bit more evidence, a little bit more data, and that's completely understandable, right? We know that some people are going to have an analytic sort of tendency, and that's just how their brain works. Some people, on the other hand, are, are going to be a little bit more heart-centered, And they may come to a conversation already ready to just discover and take it from there. But the people who are looking for something a little bit more concrete, that's where an assessment might come in. And, you know, I know that people might roll their eyes at that. And I have in the past too. But, you know, when they're done properly, when they're done properly, period, they can be very, very enlightening very quickly. And especially for those people who are like, tell me, Susan, like show me something on paper, show me a picture that can describe some concrete evidence of where I might be underplaying my strengths.
0: Let's talk a little bit about, and I love the rolled eyes. So I just want to circle back to that. Mm -hmm. I can imagine people that are listening. As soon as you said assessments, some of them are rolling their eyes and there's validity in the, the rolling of the eyes, and I'm glad that you expanded that to say when done right. But do you experience the same thing that I experience on the dangers of assessments? So I'll give you a really good example. I'm coaching someone, you know, a senior leader, VP, multinational organization. And in our first sort of like intake session, just like getting to know you and you know, making sure we fit and gel. And they had said to me, well, I did my colors years and years and years ago, and I'm red. And I've only been, and, 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 and I've always been red. I'll, I'll only be red. Red, 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 red. My question is, why do we allow an assessment instead of it being a breadcrumb, a snapshot of that given time that helps you understand yourself better? Why do we go to the other side of the extreme and we typecast ourselves and put ourselves in a box Mm -hmm. just because you took an assessment 15 years ago that said you were red? are you red today? Like, is that still true today? How have you limited yourself in thinking that you've only have these parameters to work in? Same experience.
1: Yeah. And what an opportunity. (sighs) What an opportunity. So I think about my personal experience with my clients as well as myself. And what comes to mind is that when we do typecast and we've all been there, oh, I'm orange, I'm yellow, I'm red. I'm green and blue, whatever. I'm an EFG slash AW yeah. slash 3212, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> I need a thesaurus for that.
1: <laughs> I think it's easy, right? I think honestly, like our brains can get lazy and it's very appealing sometimes to just. You know, latch on to something that feels convenient. We do it in our everyday lives. You know, it's very black, it's very white, like whatever. I think this is this is a little bit more nuanced, and I think that as we grow through our career and as we mature as human beings, then we have more potentially more tolerance, more space um, for things that are a little bit more complex. And so throughout your life, these assessments can teach you things as you are growing. And there comes a time in your life where the lessons are very profound when you have the opportunity to be debriefed accurately, correctly, effectively with the amount of time required. And then in addition to that, the follow-up of that coaching support can be so beneficial because we see it playing out in our lives. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm assertive when I'm talking to my team. I, I resonate with that. I can understand that. But then a month and a half later, something's happening where it's looking differently to you and you're saying, oh, what was that about? And then your coach can be there to say, you know, let's talk about that. Could that be that assertiveness coming up for you? What does it look like when it's overdone? What does it look like when it's underdone? And then you start to have those true aha moments. Where you're making progress because of that awareness, and it's no longer complex.
0: Yeah. I love using assessments beginning, middle and end in any engagement, but I really do, and I think it's really important to stress that you know assessments are simply a tool, an invitation for you to go deeper and get more curious, not only on how you perceive you moving through things, but how other people perceive you moving through things. It isn't a label. It's not a, you know, be all and end all. They're just simply breadcrumbs to allow you to go deeper. Absolutely. What do you think, and you work with people all over the world, Different, you know, walks of life and communities and cultures, and again, like startup, scale up, enterprise level, and if you could find some commonality, some patterning, what do you think are some of the top qualities or
1: attributes
0: that make a great leader
1: great? It comes in those more creative strategies that are used most of the time. In order for you to be in a place of self awareness and empowering others, and you know it when it's happening because you're not as tired, you're not as overwhelmed, you're not as stressed, you're not wondering why the fuck people are doing what they're doing. It makes sense because you can see more clearly. That's what it feels like. Beautiful, isn't it? Yes.
0: How do you work with? A leader who is trying to rebuild trust on a team
1: that is broken,
0: for lack of a better word.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I've been there myself. And uh, I think all of us have <laughs> at one point in time in our leadership career. Yeah, yeah, it's not always pretty, that's for sure. And it is about getting vulnerable. You know, I don't know if that's another eye roller for people, but it is about really saying, what is my part in this? And how can I go and show my team that I'm, I'm here just as much as they are? Because I think what we can do is we can have a tendency to project or expect others to do things that we haven't yet done. And so it's about showing up and saying, I was wrong. I've thought about it. I'm getting some support. And now this is what this means for me. And I'm going to grow from this. And this is how you're going to see me behaving in the future. Accountability is so important isn't it? You look at yes. the difference.
0: So two very different sc- scenarios. On one side, you could have a leader who is working with a broken team and their response could be, well, they sh- I pay them enough. They should just fucking figure it out themselves or they ignore it or they kind of touch on it, but on an individual basis, or you can go right to the root, go to the team and say, I think we need to do some work. And here's my responsibility and the dysfunction of the team. And I take full responsibility for that dysfunction.
1: Uh-huh. I want to
0: hear from you. I want to learn from you. I want to walk with you in this. Let's figure out where we went wrong, what we uh-huh. need to do right, so that we can be happy as healthy and as whole as we possibly can, because we're going to do hard things together.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's not going to change people's minds or rebuild trust overnight, but but that is a great first step. And then that's also where that continued accountability comes in to say the next day and the next day and the next day.
0: I find that, you know, a common leadership challenge is that it's so easy to ask of accountability from others, especially those that we lead. Mm -hmm. Expect you to be accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable to this. But it's up to the leader's job to hold themselves accountable.
1: And leadership team. Yeah. So been there as well, right? Super toxic. When an entire group is hasn't been held accountable and they don't even know what it looks like because it's literally been. 20 years, right? Like this is a pervasive aspect of culture within a a large organization, a small organization, whatever it may be. But to not be demonstrating accountability from the leadership level down, there's no way it's going to come back up. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it?
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think in terms of like leadership skills, the things that we always are working towards or want to get better at, what do you think are the most difficult to develop?
1: You know I think language is tricky.
0: Ooh, that's okay. We got to talk about this. What do you mean by language? There's so
1: many words, right? <laughs> <laughs> so many words, so much meaning within every single word. And your version of humble, and my version of humble, or your version of pleasing, or you know, strategy, even right? That it, we can just be on the wrong page, even subtly, that can make such a big difference, and especially when it comes to the language of emotion, because that's quite personal. And so, if we're talking about words that you know are impacting me, or Behaviors that I'm performing or not performing, like, let's be clear on that language and how is it that we're communicating? That can really be tricky and, you know, cause even more mistrust and, you know, disengagement.
0: What do you think we as leaders uh, are sometimes, I don't know if it's a barrier or a block, if we're afraid or we just are tired. Why do we have this big disconnect between holding people to our own expectations. Oftentimes in coaching sessions, I'll hear, well, I would never behave that way. I would never do that to so-and-so. And And every single time we say something like that, we're putting our own bias, our own judgment Uh on how somebody else would think, move, and operate. Uh Why are we consistently really quick to do that? And because I do find it, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. (sighs) I've seen it in every country. I've seen it in every size organization. Why, why is that so prevailing in leadership?
1: I think it's because when we say, using your example, I would never say that to someone or I would never do that. This person has a story about that behavior, so whether it was about it being very assertive what you did or, you know, that was very controlling what you did, whatever their perception of how they define your behavior Which might be totally different from how you define your behavior, by the way. But however that person perceives that, then they put that on themselves and they say, I am not like that. I don't want to be that. And because they somewhere in their lives, whether it was a past assessment, <laughs> right, <laughs> the free one they did online, that they have essentially labeled themselves, you know, in some ways to say, that's not me. And how can that person be like that? Right. Like they're, they're sort of offended by it or they question it, whatever the case may be, but it's because of their perception of that behavior and the story that they have.
0: It could be anything in terms of a project a process. Um, I I see things very clearly. I just want them to see it the same way that I see it. And then when things don't necessarily land the way that I saw it, then I hold that person, I judge that person for their inability mm-hmm. <laughs> to rise to my level. Uh-huh. Just as an example. I think it's a really common judgment that we bring to the leadership table, especially when we're working with our teams or our peers, for God's sakes. Yes.
1: Business owners, leaders are very successful people. And so they've gotten themselves to where they are today with certain competencies. Now, what though can be happening is that when they have this reaction like this that you're describing, what comes to my mind is controlling or Mm -hmm. perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And so that's where those are those uh, reactive tendencies. I talked before about what are those creative strategies? Then there's also that element in that sphere of those reactive tendencies. And so if we're overdoing a little bit of the expectation, we need to ask ourselves, what is that about me? And where else have I seen that showing up in my work or in my life? (laughs) <laughs> and it doesn't take very long to get to a place to say, oh yeah, you know, my partner tells me this, or my daughter said that to me the other day, or, you know, my, my business partner expressed something to me. And it's like, when you start to probe a little bit around, well, why is that? Why do you feel that need for them to have performed in that way? Then it it, it can often come back to them saying, Huh? Yeah, I am quite demanding. You know, I want things to be perfect. I would do them perfectly. So that's what I expect of my people. Um, And so they start to impress that upon. Now, the question that follows that is well, how clear were you on your expectations? Mm -hmm. So that's where that language comes in, right? And so, how are you communicating to your team members in advance so that you can get to a place of expectation because you've both agreed to what good looks like.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is the tool is to recognize the trigger and I'm I feel sorry for the word trigger because for the last couple of years it's taken a shitstorm of a bad negative <laughs> connotations to it, but triggers mm-hmm. can be positive or negative. Yes. And so maybe this is a tool that you can get into a ritual, a habit and see it as a trigger and what that trigger is is to invite you to get curious.
1: Yes. It's noticing first, right? Noticing, like, oh wow, like why why am I having this conflict? We'll call it mm-hmm. conflict. It could be very mild, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when there's that friction between you and another person, even if it's very mild, you're still having a conflict response inside. And so let's notice that, right? Oh, hmm, I'm getting that feeling. Why is, <laughs> what is this going on, on there? there? <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's that trigger moment that you talk about to say it could be very, it could be, and we want it to be very small. We want it to be a self-awareness trigger that we notice as soon as it starts to happen, right? The volume isn't even turned up yet. It's really, really subtle. And we're just saying, huh, what's this moment that's happening for me right now? And then that's when you can choose how you want to behave. You might not know the answer yet, but at least you're saying, huh, I'm about to respond To this situation, the same way I did three weeks ago, and that didn't work for me very well then. So why would I think it's going to work for me now? There's a there's a a moment and a choice that is waiting for you in that second.
0: So to empower those triggers and turn them towards positivity, Mm -hmm. because that could be a negative trigger. We could just stop right there.
1: They're all positive triggers, right? Yeah. Noticing (laughs) is always Uh, noticing is always positive, and that's what I love about coaching and working with coaching, you know how it is. It's never negative. Right? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that, you know, people say, Oh God, like that's maybe one of the reasons why some leaders aren't yet ready to have the support of a coach. And I did have somebody on the phone say to me just last week, I'm scared to death of that. So this person came to me to say, <laughs> I would love you help to help someone on my team,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I'm scared to death, quote unquote of me engaging with you in that process. And I said, I totally get it, but let's, you know, start the relationship. I will help this other person. And then through that, you'll begin to learn about me, learn about the way I work, learn about how this works and, you know, the benefits that are going to come to you. But yeah, it uh, it can scare the death out of some people.
0: Do you think that because predominantly organization, it's previously been seen as a way to negatively performance manage
1: i've certainly seen it not used well absolutely right mm-hmm. oh well you've done this bad thing so i'm going to bring in this third party person and you're going to go talk to them
0: right and so- see they're right and they're going to validate everything i've been telling you yeah like that's just crushing
1: that's just crushing yeah. Alternatively, alternatively, um, my experience was that I was struggling in my leadership role and my boss and I knew it, right? It was no secret. I was like, oh, dude, like this is tough. I, you know, I'm struggling with this. He gifted me coaching and I said, heck yeah. You know, so I was latching onto that. The, the, It felt like a, like a life raft, you know, for me, like There it's lonely at the top, right? Who who do you who do you go to that can truly help you with these nuanced situations of the people on your team? That coaching experience changed my leadership and it changed my life. Yeah. So there can be very positive circumstances when that happens, but I think you know it needs to come from a a true place of support. And we had a relationship of trust already, and I was ready for. The support.
0: You know, at the end of the day, I think any type of leadership, whether or not you're, uh, you know, your church group, PTA, or you're the leader of a free world, leadership does take great courage because I really do feel that leadership is an inside job. And you have to be willing to look at yourself or what you truly are, which is magically, wonderfully imperfect, perfectly you. Absolutely. And be able to lean into those strengths, accept yes. the things yes. that you're not good at. We're not supposed to be good at everything. No, no. But if we can get better at what we're really good at, and if we can enjoy that and share that.
1: And, you know, I feel like there's a perception out there that the more senior you are, the less support you need. Mm -hmm. Do you see
0: that too? Oh, absolutely. I've had a couple occasions where a new CEO will have brought me on in his or her new role. And I've had board members question and say, well, we're paying them an awful lot. Don't you think they should just get it by now? Right. Right? <gasps> that's, not the, that's, not the, that's not the point. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's not the point.
1: So interestingly, what books are those people reading? Because like, <laughs> What experiences do they have? Yeah. Where are their biases, right? And where are their mm. lack of vulnerability? Because everywhere I turn, all I'm seeing is that asking for help and support is a strength. It's not a weakness. It's That's clearly right. not pervasive enough yet, but I do hope that we're moving in the right direction. Because- that, that's what it feels like to me is that it's still observed as a weakness when someone asks for help. And these leaders are carrying around those stories, Yes. right? If they're in their 30s and 40s and 50s, right? Mm-hmm. They've been with these stories for a long time now. And, yes. you know, their own parents may have told these stories to them. And maybe it's time to say thank you for those stories. You've served me well up until this point, but now I invite something new. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want, if you're a board member,
0: if you you are a business owner, you've gone through a lot of time, money, investment to bring that person on board. You have a lot riding on their success. Mm -hmm. Why would you not want to set them up for the greatest successes possible? Yeah. When you're, and it's, this is such a hill I die on all the time, but I'm such a strong proponent that when your people win, you win, Period set them yeah. up for success, invest in them. A small investment can be a larger investment to others, but that small investment on that people piece will ensure proper foundation for processes and workflows to happen. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Because the biggest, biggest misstep in any organization, biggest, yeah, you might get strategy wrong. Okay, we're going to pivot. You might get some technology wrong. Well, we're learning. You might get marketing wrong. We're in the wrong market. But you get your people piece wrong, you can. Devastate, decimate your organization. It's really hard to recover from.
1: Yeah. And meanwhile, you're not sleeping at night. There's nothing more that, you know, gets you in your guts than those feelings of shame and failure and it's exhausting.
0: It's defeating. It doesn't feel good. And then you start to question why you're here. And then when you question why you're there, resentment starts to rear its ugly head. And once you get, once resentment settles in and gets deep inside of you, you are not long for that. No, no, you will, you will most likely blow your, and I don't mean this literally, but you most likely will self-sabotage whether or not you know it or not. And you will blow yourself up. Yeah.
1: It's a spiral, right? Yeah, And it's never too late. It's never too late to just put the brakes on that spiral and say, Hmm, you know, why am I thinking that this way? Because as you said before, there's never anything wrong with you there's never anything that you don't have there's you know i say overdone strengths and i say underdone strengths So they're all there. They're just hiding behind this under the surface because you haven't pulled on them, right? They they Mm -hmm. haven't been your most common levers. So you're not used to using these ways of being and you consistently default to the same ways of behaving and the choices you make are the same. You're default, default, default. Well, let's just shake it up and create some self-awareness around some tools and ways of being that you already possess. You just don't know they're there. And then when we know they're there, we say, well, what does that look like? If you started to use that a little bit more, you know, let's talk about that in real life situations so that it's practical. And then you wake up the next morning, you say, I have a new way of thinking about this. It is fucking amazing.
0: Yeah. It's the difference between having two standard go-to approaches or having-
1: Or a hundred go-to.
0: That's right. An arsenal. Yeah. So that when you come, when you come into conflict, and conflict will always happen, always in business, instead of having this fight or flight and these two go tos that you normally go to, you can sit back and think about, okay, so how have I seen this? What's coming up for me? And then go to your arsenal and choose from hundreds of tools so that you can navigate through the complexity with greater ease. And isn't that Mm -hmm. what we all want to do is move Mm -hmm. through things with greater ease? Mm -hmm. Susan, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to do as a leader? I mean, because you work with leaders every single day. And at the same time, you are a leader. Yes. Admit I was wrong. (laughs) This is why I fucking love you.
1: (laughs) And it sounds so simple.
0: But it's not.
1: It brings me right back, right? And it's not just a second in time where I say, Oh, I'm sorry. Right. It was, it was a, it was a journey of God, like, why does all of this feel so terrible? And it's like, you know, you're grasping at straws outwardly, like, Oh, grasping, grasping. And it's like, none of these are working. Oh, it's because I need to look within and I need to say, I'm sorry to myself. And I need to say to sorry, I'm sorry to others. You have to give yourself
0: permission as a leader that it's okay. It's what you do with it afterwards,
1: I think is what really puts you to the test.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and what if, and if that moment never comes right, like that's, that's worse. You know, I, I am thankful that I came to that point. It was ugly and it wasn't fun and it felt terrible, but it changed my life for the better. And some people have never had a moment like that. I think we all should. Do you think that they haven't had it or they just haven't recognized it? I mean, you can't fix what you can't see, right? And I mean, that's it. They've never had the moment of reckoning.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, they've never had that ego moment of like, ugh, ugh, like, you know, I just this is me. Like, this is all about me and I need to do this differently. How am I going to do that? I need to think about things in a new way. And how am I going to do that most efficiently and effectively? I need support. Yeah.
0: And you need support that's neutral. Absolutely. You know, we as coaches, we are professionally trained. I mean, It is the the most amount of intensive training and Mm -hmm. continual training, I think, that anyone goes through Mm -hmm. to always be able to be neutral. Mm-hmm. It's our practice. Yep. Who do you look for for inspiration? You. Shut up. I uh, totally paid you to say that.
1: No, you didn't. Oh. Oh, honey. It's true. You, I look to um, Brene Brown, currently reading her book, Atlas of the Heart. Um, I love language. I love communication. I love human beings. You are putting me in a completely different stratosphere right now. Jesus, (laughs) Um, I have the very fortunate opportunity of working with so many coaches and inspirational people as part of the International Coaching Federation. Um, I'm on the Calgary Chapter Board of Directors. And so on a very regular basis, there are many inspiring coaches uh, within our network here in Calgary, Alberta. And I have many colleagues that I have for many years cherished my network. I have always been a collaborator and a connector of people, and so I stay in touch with people. And I want them to know that I am genuinely here for them if they ever need anything. That's truly who you are, though. I don't think you I can be. So. Any,
0: I don't think you can be any other way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes you the People Whisperer. That's what makes you so incredibly successful. What's the one thing, if there is
1: one thing, that you would wish for for leaders to see? They have the strengths that they're looking for. They're just under the surface hiding. Yes. And when you bring awareness to them, then you can more easily pull on them when you need them. They are there. It's not that you don't possess any of these things. They are there. I also believe that it's not always the right time for support, So I might not be ready now and I might be ready in three months or I might be ready now and I might not be ready in three months. There's always a time where we're more ready than other times. And so that's okay too. But listen to the voice inside that says, why is this so fucking hard? That's <laughs> when you need to reach out. Because it doesn't have to be. Hard is not the price of good leadership. Knowing all the answers is not the price of good leadership. In fact, we know it's the opposite. When you can let go of that need to have all the answers, oh, my God. So freeing. uh, So freeing, right? Best feeling in the world. One of them, anyway. (laughs) 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 Just one. (laughs) What I
0: hear you say is that the capability and capacity for whatever you choose it to be, for however grand you choose it to be, big, large, loud, fabulous, already exists inside of you. You just have to give yourself permission, first and foremost, to really explore how truly great you can be and then live it constantly monitor it, check it, ask questions, be curious, bring people along in that journey because we feel very much alone in leadership.
1: There's no person you cannot be. Everybody needs a Susan. (laughs) Susan,
0: thank you so much. I mean, we could go on for weeks and put our pajamas on and just like breakfast together and keep talking. We could. Fantastic.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for spending
0: time with me today. So Absolutely. powerful.
1: My pleasure anytime. And thank you. Thanks for having me chat.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Live, Learn, Lead with me, Allison Geskin. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow. And a great free way to support this podcast is to review and rate it. Always remember, my friends that the most powerful thing you can be is you.